0: episode of Tartu Geo, the podcast for geography and GIS lovers brought to you from the Department of Geography of the University of Tartu, Estonia. The show is brought to you by your host, myself, Tahmin, and Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, Tahmin. In today's episode, we want to introduce the Chair of Human Geography and Regional Planning to you. Let us give us a short info from the website.
1: Okay. Okay. The Chair of Human Geography and Regional Planning provides education and spatial aspects of functioning of the human society, in particular population, culture, mobility, structure of different regions of the world, problems of economy and politics, and regional policy and planning in Estonia and the neighboring regions. Research is carried out in the same fields. Relations with government agencies and municipalities in Estonian and neighboring countries are developed. The Chair of Human Geography and Regional Planning has four research labs uh, and workgroups. First one, Mobility Lab, then Center for Migration and Urban Studies, Cultural Geography, Regional Planning and Resource Use. The chair is led by Professor T. Tamaru. We talked with Tiet in the last episode where he gave us a broad overview about himself, and research and teaching in Human Geography here in Tartu. In this episode,
0: we will talk about and collaboration activities related to the Chair of Human Geography. And at the end, we will introduce Kadri Lehtma, who is a Senior Researcher of Human Geography and have a short interview.
1: Okay, at first, um, I will talk a bit about the Mobility Lab, which is one of the Main research lab working right. in the, at first, we will talk about the mobility lab. The mobility lab of the University of Tartu focuses on various research topics such as activity spaces, travel behavior, tourism, segregation, ICT use and environmental impacts for pursuing a deeper understanding of spatial mobility. In order to gain the best probable understanding of spatial mobility in the research group in in, in order to gain the best probable understanding of spatial mobility, the research group applies both quantitative and qualitative data. One of its main interests lies on the novel methodology based on mobile telephone use and active and passive mobile positioning data. The latter enables researchers to give a more comprehensive insight into individuals' activity spaces and spatial temporal regularities than most of traditional data sources. The Mobility Lab is internationally known for its mobile positioning-based research and development. In order to discuss theoretical, methodological, and empirical aspects of mobile positioning-based research and applications in geography and planning, the Mobility Lab organizes a biannual conference known as Mobile MobileTatu. The Mobility Lab has numerous local and international cooperation partners, Its long-term strategic cooperation partner is a spin-off company called Positium. Positium is also based here in Tato. Mobile positioning-based methodology is applied in various theoretical, methodological, and empirical research and planning projects. And according to the Mobility Lab, mobile positioning-based methodology is applied in various theoretical, methodological, and empirical research and planning projects. Accordingly, The Mobility Lab has focused its research on a wide range of societal and environmental topics. These include urban geography, urban development and human activity spaces, mobile workplaces and the use of information and communication technologies, ethnic segregation, tourism geography, event management and destination marketing, seasonality of human behavior, climate and the impacts of climate change, Environmental Planning, and Ecological Footprint and Environmental Impact Assessment.
0: Alright, now I'll talk about another important research aspect of uh, human geography, that is the Center for Migration and Urban Studies. The Center for Migration and Urban Studies deals with contemporary challenges facing urban regions, such as migration, residential mobility, housing neighbourhood change, and immigration population. Urban regions are the main drivers of innovation and economic growth, but are also in the forefront when it comes to tackling social and ethnic inequalities. Cities offer the benefit of easy face-to-face contact, which is the prime reason why different people, long-term residents, migrants, and commuters, all with different resources, requirements, abilities, preferences, and lifestyles Concentrate here, making cities more and more diverse, both socially and ethnically. Center for Migration and Urban Studies links migration, residential mobility, housing, and neighborhood change to micro-societal factors such as systemic change from state socialism to democratic market economy, welfare systems, housing policy, and planning and to people's daily activities in different life domains such as school, work, life, family, leisure. Here with us today we have Kadri Litma, who is the director of the Center for Migration and Urban Studies team and the, the, the senior researcher in human geography. Her research interests cover urban social and population geography, ethnic segregation, residential mobility and preferences suburbanization also urban planning shrinking cities and post-socialist cities now enjoy our talk with her hello this is Tartu Geo. this is a podcast for geography and GIS lovers brought to you from the department of geography of the university of Tartu Estonia This show is brought to you by your host, myself Tahmin, and Alex. Hi Alex.
1: Hi Tahmin. For today's episode about the Chair of Human Geography and Regional Planning, we have the honor to talk with Kadri Lehtma from the Center for Migration and Urban Studies here at the Department of Geography in Tato. Hi Kadri.
2: Hi Alex and Tahmin.
1: Hey Kadri, Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself first.
2: Thank you for inviting. Uh, I'm currently the mm, senior mm. Teacher, a researcher in um, uh, human geography at the d- Department of Geography, and uh, also the current head of uh, the Center for Migration and uh, Urban Studies. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I have been a geographer uh, forever. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, I have made all my formal degrees in, in Tartu, uh, in, in the department of geography, uh, and uh, then I have been looking around in, in different other places. Like during my master thesis, I was in Trier in Germany, and later also in, in Leipzig during my researcher life. So, uh, but mostly uh, I have been always been in in the department of geography, human geography here
0: just going back a little bit uh, can you please tell us when you became very interested in geography like was it as a child or during your studies during high schools if you can elaborate on that a little bit
2: and it's an interesting question uh, not as a child but um, i had some other plans before i came to university but then uh, approximately a year before the university choice uh, i uh, i accidentally was uh, on a in uh, hiking with geographers uh, somewhere in Ukraine. And then I <laughs> decided that I, I make uh, uh, changes in my plans. And, and then in one year, I already uh, uh, submitted my papers to, <laughs> to geography studies. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more uh, because of the love and interest towards nature and uh, mountains. And so, so like uh, everybody in this, at this age, that uh, you, are, you don't know exactly what you want. But probably in the first study year, some uh, subjects on human geography, which were actually quite new uh, at this time, uh, I decided for human geography.
0: That's a great story, Kadri. Um, Can you please tell us a little bit about what are the specific interests in human geography you have in terms of research, teaching, or in problem solving?
2: Mostly, my research uh, is uh, around urban social geography, like urban inequalities and uh, social landscapes uh, in, in cities. Uh, and I, I think my very early subjects were related with urban planning, like particip- participation of people in planning and so. Uh, then, uh, but since my master thesis, I have been engaged in segregation studies and the urban inequalities, how it is produced, urban inequality, and how it's reproduced. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also that uh, all that um, actually also concerns governance and planning that uh, how it is, or it, is it not possible to intervene in, uh, in uh, urban inequalities. And also maybe <clears throat> these topics uh, are not like final, that the list of topics is not, is not final, uh, I also ask for example now when we have uh, uh, many topics are related with smart city and technological development and so then uh, again, again ask that uh, if this adds just another layer to urban inequality landscape or, or is it somehow helping some more excluded groups or these kind of questions.
1: Thanks, super interesting. Um, are you, you working a lot in Estonia or also on an international level? With these topics
2: both uh, because uh, it's quite typical that uh, supervised students for example have uh, the case studies in estonia but as we know we do we don't have very many cities in estonia (laughs) or or when we look from the global perspective then we have rather small cities Mm. and uh, of course of course Tallinn. if you write quite a lot about Tallinn, then people in in the world believe that this is a city but I think that uh, the problems are quite different in a city where it's only 100,000 people or some millions, so the like, uh, scale is different. Uh, but uh, maybe my own professionalism is more on Estonian cities, mm. uh, but uh, in, many, in many international projects, we anyway make comparative studies and you don't understand your own cities also very well if you don't have this comparative uh, view so for example one interesting project that we are running right now is on uh, planning and governance uh, uh, in uh, modernist housing estates and then we there have three main cases from saint petersburg uh, berlin and then tallinn tartu and uh, then you really understand what are the global processes it's quite difficult to say if you know only you know only environments.
0: Even you were saying that uh, smaller cities are quite different compared to bigger cities, but um, how do then these comparative studies results can be implemented on smaller cities or uh, do it can help understanding the problems of the smaller cities in a better way? If you can give us any example.
2: Maybe a good example is that, uh, for example, when you are talking about neighbourhood processes, uh, then a neighborhood in Amsterdam in Rotterdam is approximately the same size uh, in terms of population like the, tar- the city of Tartu is so when you talk for example about accessibility issues or mismatch of, uh, of where people live and where the workplaces and uh, then Tartu is like a neighborhood so you really don't have the, the issues like how people uh, are able to move from one end of the city to another so you don't have these uh, scale problems like you may, might have in London or
1: mm-hmm. Hey thanks Kadri. Um you mentioned Berlin so I'm, I'm actually from Berlin and even more interestingly I'm from the east part of Berlin. not sure if that's more interesting than from the west part but anyway because Germany was also um, separate separate you know and, and, uh, and the Eastern powers and the Soviet, Occupation also, like Estonia also, <laughs> and um, so these these add, I guess, additional layers of complexity into, I don't know, those neighborhood and and different population hotspots, mm-hmm. those type of thing. Do you have some info on that? Like an opinion
2: about Pärnu, for example? Okay. Um, I don't know. Now you are really, really local. It's uh, <laughs> difficult to say something. I haven't uh, been there for yeah. almost
1: 15 years.
2: <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, I don't know if it's about Berlin, but the recent thing that we have been discussing with my project partners in uh, in Germany is um, the topics of uh, related with housing and. Uh, uh, financialization of housing, like mm-hmm. uh, for example, like global capital and corporate capital, how it uh, interacts with uh, housing issues in cities. And uh, for example, one interesting thing that we have been thinking, that uh, have been considering, that uh, we uh, let's say 10 years ago, we very often said that maybe this East German privatization model, uh, where mm-hmm. the each flat was not privatized, to every single owner was somehow better than, uh, than this one that we know from Estonia, from in the Baltic states and in other Eastern European countries. Uh, <clears throat> but now we see that uh, maybe in our country, in other Eastern European countries, there is some capacity in, uh, in housing management already. Uh, and it's not so easy for financial capital to, like a global financial capital yeah. to enter to the market if you have to uh, buy apartments from every single owner. But uh, the, as I said, like this municip- municipal organization or half municipal organization uh, in Berlin, in German cities, uh, they have uh, needed some capital. And then you see this hidden process, how... Actually, not so very well known uh, financial capital comes to the housing sector. And yeah. now, if you are urban planner, it's very different if you if you're like local partners are oh. uh, the apartment associations who mm. you know very well here yeah, or the, yeah, yeah or a big developer, uh, maybe you even don't know exactly who it is. So I think it sets quite different institutional environment. Uh, what is possible to do also as an urban planner also
0: so Kadri uh, can you please tell us about your outlook for the future of human geography in terms of uh, say what kind of uh, interest or what kind of uh, future do you see for the human geography or uh, as a researcher and teacher how do you see yourself in future in the field as well
2: i feel that uh, we are more and more working on uh, interdisciplinary ground or okay. multidisciplinary ground or so and maybe one example is also when we see how the it space related education uh, I mean like a spatial planning related education has evolved in uh, in Estonia. so almost almost in every university or also. Uh, already in our own university, dip- different departments and institutes somehow relate with the uh, spatial decisions and spatial identity and so on. And uh, for example, Department of Geography organizes every year a student planners conference. Oh, yeah. And uh, you see that this knowledge is more and more coming from very different disciplines, like landscape architects, architects, like technical subjects, but also anthropo- anthropologists and so on. Mm-hmm. So we we need to be open mm-hmm. and also psychologists and uh, mm-hmm. like environmental impacts and so uh, and i think this makes this feel more interesting interesting for me in the future it's quite boring to to study the same things all the time and i think also this is uh, something that we need to do anyth- anyway to maybe there are some identity issues that what is then urban geography or regional geography but uh there's uh, some need to, uh, of thinking <laughs> what is the identity of ourselves, but uh, I I think other it's very interesting to do work in this way.
1: Kelly, um, can I ask you um, a little bit about the w- working group? I mean, you are the head of the Center for mm-hmm. Migration and Urban Studies, and um, si- since when, maybe, and and um, how do you see? And the working groups within the chair of human geography, sort of.
2: Actually, this working group is not very new. Uh, the, um, Professor Anne Marx already, who who finished uh, uh, his like active working life uh, when I was student, uh, was uh, quite important. Uh, uh, she will be ninety this year, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, I could say that probably she established this. Uh, field of studies here like population and migration studies and so and there was a l- long time of when only like a few new researchers uh, started uh, similar research and uh, i think since i and some other uh, like uh, persons came or actually op- i also came back after some other events uh, to the university and then we have seen that the human geography has actually grown and um, Mm. And our, our group is uh, actually doing very different things but mm-hmm. the, but the key or, or like keyword word is anyway, urban inequality, segregation, uh, like uh, ethnic differences, social mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that we actually want to be also more uh, known as a center of knowledge mm. so that uh, you don't only work in this way that you get new data and then you see if the city segregate more or less yeah. <laughs> but also to really relate with public discussions like uh, in the end of march there's a big migration conference that T is organizing so we want to co- bring this uh, segregation and inequality topics also to planning discussions yeah. so this is policy, this is how yeah. we work yes so it is uh, As a researcher, you can not do only that, but I think it's like more interesting. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So uh, what do you think would be your advice for the future students who want to pursue geography, human geography or other fields of geography?
2: I think uh, I would mention two things, Uh, and one is about methods, because uh, always when you are Master student or phd students uh, student then you have a, an advantage that you you have time to invest into yourself and to be very good in some new or not so much used models so it uh, it actually concerns both qualitative approaches and also gis which is certainly strong in our department uh, so you have the advantage to 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 learn really good these new methods and to be very good. Of course, your knowledge and your skills will be old in 10 years, but at least this is something that you can uh, have a a good uh, point if you start as a researcher or continue as a practitioner or so. And uh, I also think that the second thing that uh, should be maybe emphasized more is reading, Uh, really. because uh, especially these new methods, like using uh, open data and big data, it um, invites people to dig to in data, which is interesting because it is a new way of understanding mm-hmm. the world and there's a huge potential. But on the other hand, um, I think only very good students really understand what is the discussion globally. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and they are able to relate their own, topics uh, already at the master level and PhD level with the rest of the world. And uh, this kind of, uh, I would appreciate when students really synthesize different, uh, and it doesn't mean which methods these people have used to write, but at least you understand what are the key discussions Mm -hmm. in your own field. So then uh, you have a good chances to, to be both a good researcher, young researcher, or, or also like a, a needed expert. <laughs> expert.
1: Cool. Thank you very much, Kari, for being here with uh, us today. See uh, you.
2: Thank you all uh, for inviting and good uh, success to all students in the future. Um,
1: in the last episode, we have. Um, shared already, uh, each time several articles. So the idea stem, stemmed, stem, stum, stomped is, is, is stemming from, um, uh, one of the seminars I gave in, in autumn last year, where I selected a couple of quite recent GIS articles. So it's not so much the, the classical ones that everybody should know, but it's rather what are sort of really lately published research in GIS and geospatial and and related um, journal articles, you know, scientific uh, peer-reviewed press. So, and today we want to talk about those uh, a bit more conversational, I presume, so we don't just want to put the links to the article, but we want to talk about those articles a little bit, so also that the that the listener can take something away from these articles and uh, is not forced to just go through this rather dry list of articles. So and I I've been in my you know in my role <laughs> <laughs> as a as a as a, as a Researcher here in, in in geoinformatics at the Department of Geography, and with my research projects, but also in teaching. That I keep a little bit tab on sort of what is going on in the research space. well You know, I'm following a couple of journals that are well known and and sort of established in the field. And uh, so we have a list uh, that we selected from. The broader list with sort of, uh, that, that the database of lists. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> basically. So, so of all the articles that were published. So I'm following like a feed. I've been, you know, I'm following the feed and I'm sort of sorting out what, what might or might not be interesting or related to my work or my teaching. And from these we have, um, Selected a shortlist for for each episode. So this is sort of how this comes together. So this is not a structured bibliometric analysis that that is probably <laughs> the disclaimer <laughs> we have we have to do here before Okay, it, it's it's really based on on what we think is useful maybe or interesting. fitting yeah. to the episode for example but also Tachmin exploring geoinformatics for the students, maybe even something to follow up, maybe even for some other researchers here in the field, or teachers or something. Okay, first article. Uh-huh. Uh Actually, I got um, aware of this article because I know Henriki Tenkanen, who, ah, is, okay. the author? who is the first author. Okay. So he's a researcher in Helsinki University. Mm-hmm. Let me quickly check that.
0: It seems like it should be in Helsinki because the article states that the modes are in Helsinki. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. 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 I just want to be sure that I don't get it wrong. So he's working, he's working at the digital geography lab of the Department of Geosciences and Geography of the University of Helsinki. Uh, But he also has a a, um, affiliation with the Department of Geography of the University College in London. Okay. In the UK. And he has an affiliation with an institute, Helsinki Institute of Sustainability Science, which is also part of the University of Helsinki. Finland. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Henry and uh, the other thing why I know Henriki, he actually was attending mobile tattoo. Alright yeah so we just talked about it that um our department uh, the chair of human geography and regional planning does this every two year this uh, mobile tattoo conference and i was there two years ago i think it was and um so he gave a presentation and uh and also when we started to build our geo python course um he is preparing also very very excellent geospatial analysis, geodata processing, Python um, course materials, and he's sharing them online and then uh, open open data license.
0: Oh, that's that's really interesting.
1: So this this gave us uh, some some really good help to get started with our course. And in this course, he is also. Uh, has this one assignment where you are supposed to calculate a travel matrix between, um, several in shopping estate. centers. Ah, okay. Uh, in, in, in Helsinki. And there's two travel modes, um, by car and by, by foot, fu- by public transport, I think. So, and what, what, what you're going to do, you load this into a geodata frame and you do, um, some statistics, and then you you plot this nicely and to show uh, the the accessibility and travel times from you know the selected shopping center to a arbitrary point that you choose in in the city.
0: Right, right. Just to so, just to interrupt you uh, for yeah. a, a brief moment, uh, as you as you were familiar with the research uh, or at this article. Would you like to explain a little bit of the differences uh, when it comes to, say, walking to a close or, or a particular distance, and then taking a public transport? What are the on a very basic level? What are the technical differences uh, that goes into the calculation when uh, the we are taking two different modes? Actually,
1: like, yeah. Oh, so, so what happens is um, the underlying that. I'm not mistaken is is sort of based on a network analysis mm-hmm. so um, like car travel and public transport can only happen on on like roads and and the train or wherever the, the, the particular lines right, right of the, the the transport are and the then you would do like a walking walking distance sort of to the next points of access, basically. Mm-hmm. So, but this this is done sort of on on a network basis, and then this whole thing gets sort of rasterized. All right, all right. So, and that and that means if if uh, along certain um, directions, mm-hmm. the cell has a high value. That means for this mode of transport, if you if you go along this area. Right. That means you can cross each pixel faster. Okay. Sort of. And then yeah, this yeah. means, and then, and this how you can sort of, uh, visualize the, how quickly you can move around. Go to, um, right, right. Because but, then uh, it, 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 it will be faster to cross several pixels and slower to cross others. Right. And this way you have this sort of, um, accessibility basically to, to reach away from your pixel to, towards, the Another other thing, direction, so. something like right. that. And so, yeah, to to were, to calculate these 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 matrices, the, the, this can be some you know some some proper effort. And uh, now Henrique has uh, published this basically as a data set as a proper you know including all the methodology. There's uh, several modes. There's travel distance by walking, by cycling, public transport, by car. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even temporal over the year time of day and those. So, so there's lots of, lots of, um, computing under the hood before, before this comes out. And this is really nicely described in this article. And as you said, there's several modes of transport and they all have to be like, I really well described. Which, which data sources are used to, to understand, you know, like open street map, um, city, city data for the public transport lines and and those type of things. And then this whole goes then to like a, like a graph, like a network, you know, which directions they can go and how fast. And, and, and this is published in the journal scientific data, which is quite a decent journal for, for, for GIS. And the title is longitudinal spatial data set on travel times and distances by different travel modes in the Helsinki region by Henriki Tenkanen and Tuli Toivonen. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of our researchers in the department is currently on a research position, like a postdoc or like a, you know, like a external research um, project for two years um, from the chair of human geography. Okay. Under prof- I think Tuli Toivonen, if I'm not mistaken, is yeah, and it's a lady, exactly. Tuli Tuli Toivonen is a lady, and she's okay. associate professor. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that um, we currently one of our staff members is actually in Helsinki with uh, on a, on a research project. Yeah, so that that that's pretty cool. Yeah, so much for that, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so for the
0: next uh, in line, we have this another article, which uh, which is a uh, more uh, human geography related article, I would say, which is titled Uneven Transformation, Space, Economy and Society 20 Years After the Collapse of State Socialism, written by Adrian Smith and Judith Timar. So, the basic concept of this article, what it talks about, is that uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, most of these uh, post-socialist countries, they uh, tried to accumulate the neoliberal uh, capitalism and huge privatization in different sectors, especially in the housing sectors, uh, quite rapidly. But uh, as the structure, inherent structure of these uh, countries were already quite different uh, compared to the Western European countries, though they followed the same economical path and even the Western European countries also tried to help uh, in achieving these goals for this new uh, newly adopting uh, economic policy uh, in these countries, the results or the outcomes were many places quite significantly different. Uh, One of the significant thing that they talk about is that uh, the wealth inequality in these post-socialist countries went quite rapidly high, so um, the staggering number of people who remained uh, within probably lower middle class uh, were m- way more compared to the people who could reach uh, towards the richer section of the of, of the society
1: is it is it really because socialism was stopped and everybody jumped on capitalism or
0: yeah, there is no exact uh, pinpoint option that you can pinpoint and say okay this is the problem the problem was, at least in this article, what they tried to say is like the way the capitalism for at least the West, Western European countries like Germany or, or other countries was developed was based on their local needs and based on the analysis of uh, of their social structure, right? But for these newly uh, independent countries after the fall of Soviet Union, they kind of just adopted the policies from the Western Europe, Europe rather than... Analyzing their own situation first. So many of the times the it happened like the The, uh, the policies didn't actually benefit them quite well uh, Or rather misfired in many places. There were a couple of economical crisis situation also described. Uh, another thing um, uh, Also uh, happened because of this um, inequality uh, is that uh, as I forgot the actual uh, logic. Actually, uh, what was the logic? But it was described in some some way that the traditional roles of the women actually came back. Because mm. oh now I, I now I remember. Okay, so uh, the logic was that in Soviet Union countries, because they needed a huge amount of labor, uh, they had to uh, they had to incorporate women as well as as labor into the workforce. Mm. But Uh, As these countries, many of these countries started uh, going into the path of capitalism or neoliberal capitalism after after the fall. Uh, What happened is that the uh, labor of these countries uh, became very cheap compared to Western European countries, which is still still true today. And as a result, many of the male workers they shifted from these countries to another countries where the labor was much higher. No, not well, not other you, way around. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. So for the families, many of the women had to take care of the family itself. And um, uh, previously, where where it was that uh, probably both male and female of the family were working, this is probably not true in in the cities, but in the villages, the women actually had to take back the traditional womanly role uh yeah. of of society yeah because of that because and the men were
1: in the yeah and and in
0: the villages there were not probably enough um options for the female to do anything anymore uh, and for the family they had to again take back the traditional roles so that's that's quite interesting that uh, yeah you know. and it is
1: it is um in Estonia, it's it's now not so strong also anymore. But as far as I know, like many Estonians went to work to Finland, for example. Right, right.
0: That's that's quite yeah, uh,
1: yeah well known well you, yeah. you live in, yeah. of course a lot of more money in, in Finland then. and that the language is Quite more singular, similar, right? yes. yeah. Sort of, you know, it's not the same. There's some decent tricks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That you can get wrong, but it, it's of course much easier to learn than, than, I don't know, another language. Although many Estonians of the older ones anyway, uh, mm-hmm. had to learn also Russian. So, yeah. So, but nobody wants to go to Russia to work, of course. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, of course, the GDP probably increased a lot, but then again, uh, the GDP does not show the actual, uh, uh, what should I say say the quality of the life of the people because it's a kind of mean average Mm -hmm. um, you know and then if uh, 10 people have the 50 percent of wealth and then the rest of the 90 people it doesn't matter because they are not probably earning enough and right. uh, so, yeah, it, it also uh, at some point talk about the the problem of this GDP. Uh, and another thing that they mentioned is like during the 1990s, only a couple of people could uh, you know utilize the significant opportunities that these countries produced uh, while joining the uh, capital section of the world, and others couldn't most of the time. And i don't know what is the what should be the uh, particular case in in estonia or say in, in any, any other uh, particular countries but um, probably it went like this this is personally my guess is that when these countries joined the capital section they had different type of business opportunities in different privatizations in you know in different subsidies given by the government and only a couple of people could uh, access them very quickly, rather than having a, say, a healthy competition, while where they have um, uh, different people in the same business, so that the quality and the prices are checked and balanced by them and the government as well, which didn't happen during the 90s. That's mm-hmm. that's what this article is saying. Uh, probably uh, now the case is different, but at, at the early 90s it was not like this. So, yeah, and and at the end of the uh, article, um, the researchers suggest that uh, they need more, uh, say, there is a knowledge uh, uh, production politics as well, which is that uh, wherever the knowledge is being produced, the knowledge is much more uh, tend to serve the producer. Hmm. So, uh, say the m- amount of knowledge on uh, how to define these post-socialist countries, or how to actually elevate their economic condition uh, in through different models produced in at least Western Europe. Uh,
1: did they, yeah, I was I was wondering, did they do they say um, because it says you know, um, John of European and urban and regional studies. Do do they say from of which countries they they a sample or the studies is about? Are they no, sort of practically not,
0: because because this is this is a gro- they they draw a gross uh, distinction between the Western European who were not the part of the Soviet Union back mm-hmm. in the, back in the days and the part of the Europe who were part of the Soviet Union but nowadays it uh, is part of the Soviet uh, European Union. So yeah. the knowledge production in these two gross dis- like uh, parts. Are different. And uh, most of the time, if, even if you look at our uh, human geographies work, uh, uh, majority of the works are still uh, focused on uh, how this post-socialist uh, countries, different social segregation, housing problems, uh, mobility, this, this uh, around these topics. And that suggests that uh, what these uh, writers or authors were also suggesting that among these countries, because their condition is uh, historically different, the knowledge production has to be within themselves. So that the, when the future polit- polit- political and economical policies come, it actually benefits themselves rather than just copying from someone else. Well, that's it for this article, I think. And
1: that is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very big topic to. Yeah, actually, um, brought under...
0: Every- Particularly,
1: as we are in Estonia, it's one of those countries, of course, and uh, you, you still have lots of things going on that uh, are based on situation that Estonia has been under Soviet occupation or however you want to call it. Don't want to offend here. So politically correct, I probably have to say, <laughs> when Estonia was part of the Soviet Union. Right. As many as up to what 30% Russian speaking population, Russian stemming population also, mm-hmm. because, you know, back in the days, Soviet Union would, would, would move, would move people, yeah, their people a, to, across to countries, countries back and right, forth right. and sort of, um, in an attempt to like settle Russians in, right. you know, in the different parts areas yeah. and so on. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, these countries now have, to, of course, to deal with it. You know, like yeah. Ukraine, for example. Also in Estonia, there's um, uh, also occasionally some activities where the state of Estonia has to be politically clever as to not invite an overly agitated mm-hmm. Russian response. You oh, know, right. right. So yeah, I guess this, this this article gives some some really good. Uh, background and uh, sort of a lens into the the, the social and economic aspects sort of in a deeper not so superficial level which is i guess no uh, I,
0: I would say yeah. it's more on the on the more uh macro lens uh, aspects of of analysis rather than being very micro
1: yeah so. oh, yeah no i mean I, I i don't mean lens as in micro i, I mean but it's not the, the things that I don't know. You read on Wikipedia, or that that you come up. with, yeah, no, of use, course not. You know, yeah. like this is some some background, it's, it's some understanding of of let's say, yeah, some of the deeper understanding that that can help you to sort of uh, put into relationship, yeah. put into relation the, the the developments, mm-hmm. the, the current situation of of those states and and what they've been through and um, and, you know, what factors affected that and so on. All right. As a so, the third article, we've been talking about the mobility lab and, um, uh, one typical thing in, in GIS, but with the human aspect, human geography is, um, spatial temporal event detection because most spatial temporal events, so mm-hmm. events that happen somewhere in space and time, they are right. collected and they usually, um, are a result of a pattern of some sort. For example, um, not bad, but uh, terrorist attacks, um, crime, um, crime, crime yeah. um, uh, I don't know, demonstrations and, and whatnot. Um, these type of, of events, they happen, you know, in a time and they happen somewhere. And, uh, to, to work with these, to analyze, um, useful information out of those, to relate them, to look at statistics. Matter of fact, we still live in the most peaceful times since very, very long, since ever, maybe in humanity, Mm -hmm. although the news, of course, tell us a different story, but (laughs) we still live in a pretty good time to be alive. And so, Spatial Temporary Event Detection, this article is a review article published in the International Journal of Digital Earth, also Mm -hmm. just this year, 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Mm Okay. So it's a recent article received for review December 2019. Okay. And accepted for publishing in March 2020. So mm-hmm. quite good. Spatial temporal event detection, a review in the international journal of Technology to earth. And the good thing is in these reviews articles, if they are well done, mm-hmm. they give you a good background. It's not so much that they look into a specific new methodology, how to do this spatial mm-hmm. temporal data mining. You know, Twitter mining is is, is a similar type of thing. You know, you look through Twitter tags. Right. Many of them are geolocated and they might be um, topic related. For example, you could say uh, many research topics, uh, research articles actually deal with Twitter mining for disaster location, disaster response, for example, flooding. Volcanoes, earthquakes.
0: Earthquake, yeah,
1: yeah. And so, so each of these Twitter posts would also be a spatial temporary event. So the overall oh. event would be a particular earthquake. Uh huh. But, uh, each, each of these Twitter posts come from somewhere in the area. Probably it's, let's say it's an earthquake somewhere in the uh-huh. area, like Haiti back a couple of years and so on. And, and they would come up. And so this would, be a small event each of these posts but they would all relate to a bigger event but you know you don't immediately know that so so you have to analyze
0: that is that so, is that something that twitter provides or is it something that uh, you know geoinformatics no this is this do? is
1: this is just basically data being uh, published by people right so uh-huh. let's say uh, we are in estonia let's say um, a big flood floods like all the north of estonia hmm so and uh, people, you know, using their social media, just you know, as usually, walk around and say, "Oh wow, man, he has flooded," and somebody in Tallinn does that, somebody in Narva, yeah, yeah. or maybe hundreds. And so if they have a geolocation in the in the tweet, uh-huh. then you can start, for example, correlating. There's more tweets in Tallinn than in Nava. Maybe in Tallinn are more people, but maybe um, there's actually more flooding in Tallinn. Mm. So, and, and some of those disasters you cannot immediately measure with I don't know earth observation satellite. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that it, I it, understand with not so great infrastructure. Um, so this can be a source of information that can be you know pulled together.
0: Oh, that's, so, this, that's quite this, interesting, yeah.
1: And uh, this article here gives um, a nice let's say almost high level review of um, in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, different methods. Uh, what is a spatial temporal event? Um, how, how do you have to have a workflow? You know, which type of sensor events did it, the event? You know, if it's, if it's remote sensing or in situ yeah, yeah. or social sensing, like, you know, social media or different things or GPS, you know, like we talked about mobility. Mm-hmm. So when the, the people who are participating in this, they, Walk around and then the app says bing. Now I'm here and then later I'm there. So this can all be pulled together, for example. And then you have to extract the events and have to understand payload or what's the, if it's text or if it's a magnitude or whatever you are measuring, right? Right. And uh, then you have to look, of course, at the aspects. What will this be the domain of interest, for example? And then you can. You know, draw knowledge from the analysis. You can, is it about environment, about health, about mm-hmm. urban intelligence, urban, you know, mobility, those type of things or some business crisis, crime, social unrest, you know, so there's, this a good, it gives you a good background to, to, to get into the field a little bit and to understand what are sort of the main methods. And of course, what are the you know prevalent articles to go deeper into 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 one of those things oh, so if right. somebody would do a thesis on that for example mm-hmm. i would i would totally recommend it
0: <laughs> all right all right oh another thing i was wondering about is that because these uh, social medias they're not uh, say publicly um, data giving organizations yeah then you have to make your data just by looking at the tags right because you are not getting the data from them yeah
1: there's there's a couple of things you can so twitter is popular because most of twitter is actually open mm-hmm. because the feeds most people yeah they open. open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so it but in facebook it's it's now it's much more that your friends or your network yeah. so much So it, yeah. and then you can't really look into facebook data mm-hmm.
0: No, even but, but, though Twitter is open, they are not giving you the data itself. So you know to no, it up and make it make it they're yourself. Are a
1: business, they're not like here is our big database. No, <laughs> what they what they um, provide they provide you to access to mm-hmm. access their their API, which is mm-hmm. you know what you interact with your app when you are posting or when you are following your stream.
0: Right.
1: So you can do that on an, with an, with like a script or an automated way. Right. But you cannot, so you can like, if you can in your Twitter app, you can search for tags. Mm-hmm. This is probably what you will do. So, and, and you will have to look through those and you will have to find, okay, there's other tags that I might also have to look for. Mm-hmm. So you search. So, and then there's some limitations. I don't think you can download. All the tweets with a particular tag at once. You can only download like every couple thousand or something. Mm -hmm. And there used to be the geo information available, but in the public search feed apparently it's not anymore. But there's recently they changed something. Their privacy
0: policy, yeah.
1: Yeah. So what you what you would do nowadays is you would Look at the text mining. So you would look at in the, in the, in the tweet. It's only mm-hmm. 240 characters or something, and uh, you would check is there place words in there.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And then you can okay. geocode those place words. And Just... again, you never know in which country it is. Could be in a different country and in different English-speaking countries, for yeah, example, yeah, yeah. can have the same cities. Yeah. So you have to add more context that you need, like from your from your research or from your data mining, you need to learn more context where this tweet would come from, maybe from Mm -hmm. who was sending it or, you know. Yeah. yeah, But this is how you you would look at, you would basically look at the text. The hashtags hopefully is like now it's like COVID-19 or stay at home. And uh, you probably would find text from this all over the world in all the different languages. So big event happening right now. <laughs> so. The event is the covid nineteen pandemic, yeah but yeah. well it, it's how literally how it is I mean, so what you would have to do then you have to follow like your like your data collection, you have to make like a little script like an app or something like mm-hmm. can be a python script or something that would just run for a couple months or i don't know weeks or in order to load more more data uh-huh um and then and then you can analyze that data yeah oh
0: that's that's really cool yeah
1: yeah in a a way it's basically auto it's like automated your automated twitter app what you can do with the app like you search for for tweets and 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 people and tags and and
0: and Uh, you can do the same with the script as well exactly
1: Uh and in a more automated fashion Uh, and that's... that's what you would have to do that's super cool. That's how we just have to set up yeah, the script. Yeah. Every and now and then, then there's, I think there's also master thesis that, that deals with with something These like things. That. But okay. it's very technical because, uh, I mean, the the more you want to get out of it, the more mm-hmm. tweets you need. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe do some machine learning, or you have to you have to find some data processing to get places and 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 important words, the context out of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a very technical work. Hmm. But yeah it's, off, it's it's very often disaster related I mean or maybe maybe one last article because it's funny I think
0: yeah, it, I was thinking the same because yeah. it's so interesting like, we it,
1: have like looked I
0: was also thinking like did did architecture schools already fail because of the surge of minecraft yeah. <laughs> because kids are quite well uh, versed. In, in Minecraft like creating building houses building <laughs> houses and, and, and other things as well so, you know I saw some people also building these automated machines in Minecraft like uh, building for bridges they have built a machine which will build the bridge in, uh,
1: Minecraft. Know, in Minecraft yeah it was quite quite interesting they built in Minecraft the machine that builds yeah wow Auto- yeah
0: it automatically creates the brick and different things and automatically moves and automatically tries to create the bridge wow. That's interesting yeah
1: yeah the create. i mean they just a, i think this is the one thing that minecraft is um probably like a standalone thing now not so much anymore because if there of those free free building this this complete freedom technically that you can build worlds and stuff and uh, right. I think right. really, it's really I also know that uh-huh. 90% of us I don't know of the time they they don't play in this um, campaign or in this in the survival mode okay. they just they just play and build stuff
0: this that's really interesting because I remember when I was a kid and uh, I don't know if you remember when vice city first came in
1: uh, do you remember that game vice city? No, I I know SimCity, but I don't know. Okay, well,
0: SimCity is much later. Vice City was Ah, much older. Rockstar Games, Vice City. Uh, And then the second generation came, San Andreas. So anyway, so that game was those uh, kind of free roaming uh, map where you can just roam and, like, fight with people. And, of course, there were different uh, tasks as well. But what I used to do is (laughs) always cruise around in a bike or a car, just in the city, doing nothing exactly. But uh, uh, at least in Minecraft, people are building something that's better than what I used to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, maybe let's let's uh, let's just say that the title. So the title of this article is um, "Minecraft as a Tool for Engaging Children in Urban Planning: A Case Study in uh, Tirol Town, Brazil." I, I'm almost inclined to say Tirol, which is you know in 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 the Alps, but uh, it's roll town in Brazil. It's published in MDPI International Journal for Geoinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, in this journal, the amount of articles published. I mean, MDPI is uh, in general an open access publisher. All right. That's- and uh, this journal, the the journal output is immense. It's it's. it's uh, Exhausting to follow it <laughs> those genres.
0: But what do you think, like, uh, even in my courses here in Tartu, I have seen uh, when it comes to planning, there is a new uh, uh, approach, at least, to include children in many ways so that the plan can have some aspects of uh, children's perspective as well, uh, at least what they think uh, is necessary. Uh, oh, how do you think that is... Uh, you know, being, or, or, or how do you think is the future of that, at least uh, uh, when it comes uh, to, you know, it, it the, those plans being implemented in reality, because mm-hmm. uh, it's a very, very innovative and good thing that, uh, you know, children being a very important and significant part of the society as well, we are co- considering their opinion in the planning, but when it comes to implementation, uh, does it actually... Happen
1: that uh, okay, planners,
0: uh, so they actually listen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. they suck it to keep the. To I this. have no clue. <laughs> yeah. I have no clue. Yeah, maybe there's a study necessary on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, very let's, interesting, let's, actually. I used to, I mean, this, and I've heard about this anyway. In Tartu, you have this, uh, yeah, also this participatory planning. Right, right. And there, there's, I think it's smaller amounts, but there's some amount of, of the city budget set aside every year. Uh-huh. for for some initiatives and uh, that the people can decide. Okay. For for the city city infrastructure, or I don't know, new playgrounds or something. Right. right. And uh, there's a, there's a special initiative every every year round where where partici- um citizens can can engage and um, together they can uh, suggest projects. You know, they can go through this whole planning procedure, but. In a way, because it's it's city money, but the people can decide what to do with that money, and okay. there's some process around it. And and this certainly is is um is done by the by the people.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let, let's go back to the topic of the Minecraft. Minecraft. Yeah, yeah like yeah. how how do you think it can be actually, or what does the article say? Yeah. About so I
1: think so. So what they do is basically they they have the city. Um, they have, um, children. Uh-huh. So the, the, the worlds are sort of prepared right. and the words, the, the, Minecraft words and they re, they represent, um, cities. Oh, no, okay. no, cities. So there, okay. there's several stages apparently. So where they are at first, of course, the kids have and then the participants, they have to sort of learn Minecraft. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
1: then there's one, um, episode where they can redesign the city. Okay. Where they can design a new city okay. and then they sort of discussing the final scenario
0: okay which which one they the, do they like more or
1: something so so they they have there is sort of supervised they they you know what kids apparently do is they focus lots of their attention on, on designing houses How? and of course has to choose, choose the location. And, um, I also know that when our kids here play, uh-huh. they look like at, at nice places. Is there, I don't know, is there <laughs> by a mountainside, is there flowers, uh. or are there flowers and so on and so on. So no one uh, li- wants um, to live in the city. <laughs> so they, they, they apparently have an, like a intuitive, they look what is, what is nice places. And right, right. And they, they, they have, but they have to put it sort of into the real map of the city, which is sort of also in Minecraft. Mm, okay. So, and, and in, in reflections, basically, they, so it's a qualitative experiment. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no like quantitative aspect. The only thing is there's, there's a map here where they, where they test the observations where the kids apparently have designed the buildings all much closer right. together, whereas, you know, the, Historically, center is much more spread out. Yeah. So the kids said probably this is too, how to, you know, design nicely at the houses are all mm-hmm. by them together, sort of, you know, the older children, they already, you know, excelled in aesthetic and functional appeal, mm-hmm. you know, that they already got a feeling, you know, how those put those things better together. and right. uh, And uh, the younger, they had, you know, just also playing, but ha- have sort of this, Fun with the... Software. Yeah, there's fun okay. about the, this naive sort of um, aesthetic uh, sort of the choices.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah, and they also look... You know, they, they considered some things like shelter and food.
0: Oh, okay. That's... <laughs> because
1: in a game, particularly on survival... Yeah, yeah, you have to, to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in the night, you have to be inside because in the night, the zombies come. Ah, okay. So this might have been, uh, you know, that they... The, the, I mean, the, the classic human... In nature of you know, you know, night, yeah, yeah, yeah. Find shelter yeah. and in the day, you know, go hunt food or, yeah. or, or or um farm or whatever. And then so and then this had also an influence of how they designed so it was like a qualitative experiment and, and they documented that. So that that mm-hmm. that's nice. There's there's no groundbreaking stuff in here, but mm-hmm. it's nice no, it's really, those things really also interesting, get documented. Yeah. It's um this is one of those research things that it's it's good that they did it and it's um it's a nice little study. Right. And the important thing is that it's sort of systematically documented and, and critically reflected upon that, that is what a study should be. You know it's yeah. 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 So that that it, it is nice. And and it, it rather raises raises the interest and is like, okay, urban planning and yeah. children yeah. They are, but but I but I personally think the, the reach from what the kids did mm-hmm. to actual urban planning if for managing, the yeah. city is, is is a complete different story. But on the other side, if you think of our work here in the department, yeah, and if we would engage younger children mm-hmm. uh, through Minecraft, or I mean, this link is now sort of almost obvious. The the GIS approach. And, and, and human and, uh, geography, regional planning. Okay. What the kids basically doing, if you realize they actually do that. And if you build the link into what you can learn here at the university, it's, it's just the next level on, on a higher sophisticated level Mm -hmm. you do when you do GIS and regional planning here, you know, as a master's course or, right,
0: right. Or even bachelor course, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: I mean we also have these uh, open day open door days and uh actually two one or two years there's this always this night of the sciences or something this mm-hmm. night yeah, yeah, yeah and uh one mm-hmm. time also we had one of the kids develop a minecraft labyrinth oh <laughs> and, was, and, and that and that workstation was very popular on that evening
0: so, yeah, game companies are coming towards education because I remember in Tallinn, uh, when we were in this uh, Copernicus uh, Ocean Hack um, oh, yeah? Yeah, event, uh, there were some companies who were developing kind of a game. Uh, it's not actually a game. It's, it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, analyzing maritime uh, different factor influences. So if you, say, want to establish a... Uh, wind uh, power f- farm or something in in the sea somewhere and then you drag and drop and it automatically because all the data are pre-given it automatically analyzes if it is uh, uh, falling under any protected uh, say fishing zone or uh, private uh, not even private like uh, national air uh, pathways and and other different things. So yeah, these kind of things. So that uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily be very technical about it, uh, at least on the user level, to take some decisions. Uh, so they build it uh, for you. And uh, on the policy level, probably, of course, there are some people who are technically um, uh, very uh, efficient. But there are also people who, because it's it's a combination of different different. Uh, uh, knowledge genres of people, so so that everyone understand what is going on. So hmm. I think uh, for children, uh, this Minecraft is also helping it uh, or acting yeah. it. Yeah, that's like. And if you put good. it
1: a little bit into a little bit more, uh, let's say into some slightly con- con, um, contained sort of boundaries for them to have a certain thinking process, mm-hmm. then they can still play. And you still engage them already in certain thinking patterns or decision patterns, planning right. patterns that, that might be useful sort of, right. know, like as a, as a training type of engagement that that's what it was. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's maybe conclude this. I would just yeah. like to raise the, raise the, the listeners awareness to the other, uh, four articles. There's, um, uh one more review which is which is um for everybody who is into volunteer geographic information, like OpenStreetMap is. Mm-hmm. And every now and then there's um some research about the quality or the background or or methods in working with uh for example open street map data, but also volunteered geographic information, VGI in general. And this is a review that looks back you know a decade. That, that i think is uh yeah, reviews are always good mm-hmm. and yeah and we have two more two more just have a look at the blog post then and uh, you can follow up on that
0: so this is our conclusion for today uh like everywhere please like share and subscribe we would also be happy if you have some feedback for us see you in the next episode